hands on the prowl, trying to take us down, but we ain't giving up now. A liar and a thief, coming after you and me, but we ain't giving up now. Hello, welcome to Brave Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Gullett. And today, we're going to talk about Haman in the book of Esther. A few months ago, my husband and I were watching a free documentary on YouTube. It's this organization called Frontier Alliance International, or FAI, and they have a series of free videos and free training tools and free documentaries focusing on the Middle East. So we watched one called Sheep Among Wolves. It's about this emerging movement in Iran. It's a discipleship movement. Many Iranians are coming to Jesus. Um, it's not something that we hear about a whole lot here. It's, it's an underground church, essentially, a discipleship movement, and it's predominantly led by women, uh, which is really thrilling because um, many Religions, many societies, many cultural structures are pretty bent on women being silent, pretty bent on women not really driving anything in the culture. And here we have in Iran a predominantly women-led discipleship movement where people are coming to Jesus, they're being healed, they're bringing more people to Jesus. And it's just this incredible documentary. Anyway, I would encourage you... I would encourage you to go find it and go read and study and watch a lot of their other stuff and become more informed about the Middle East, about the 1040 window, and about Jesus and his heart for people that we don't understand. But one of the things in the documentary that we heard was this song called Gallows by a musician and artist named Jess Ray. And it's basically the story... It's basically a song about how Haman made the gallows and he will hang from them. The devil will hang from his own gallows. And I just feel the Lord's heart on this so, so powerfully. And I know, I know they do as well. And I just started seeking the Lord about some way to communicate this idea, some way to share this part of his heart and share this part of the truth and the real story, the real narrative that even though Haman built the gallows for Mordecai, he thought he built them for Mordecai. He actually built them for himself. For himself. He, hang, he hung on the gallows that he made. And that is actually what will happen to our enemy, what will happen to the devil. That, is, that was a phenomenally prophetic event and act and series of events that actually foretells what will happen for us, what will happen for those of us who are a target of the enemy, which we all are. And so we're going to play a little bit more of her song, and then we're going to go into this message. Our 
story begins in Esther chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. Now, a little bit of backdrop is that, I mean, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, or for those of you who maybe it's it's been a while till you've been refreshed in this, um, Haman was kind of top top guy under king under the king, and he would go out every day into the courts, and people would bow to him because he had such a high position. And the only person who went and bowed to him was Mordecai. Mordecai was a Jew. Haman knew this. And even though Haman had so much, he had wealth, he had many sons, he had position and authority, and he had the trust in the ear of the king, this one person who wouldn't bow to him, this one person who wouldn't give him worship, so angered and infuriated Haman it was all he could focus on. It's, 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 it's like a very unhealthy person who has, like, unhealthy in their emotional state, who has everything they could ever need or want, but there's one thing that they can't have, and that is what they focus on. They become angry and bitter and resentful, and this is Haman. But he took his bitterness and resentment past Mordecai and onto the people of Mordecai, onto the Jews. And in Esther 5, 9 through 14, we see the plot to take down Mordecai. And it expands past that, but we're going to focus on the plot to take down Mordecai. So I'm going to go ahead and read. You can read along. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, Esther 5, verse 9 through 14. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he neither rose nor trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Jerish. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast." This pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So he's just an angry, bitter person because he can't have worship from one man. This is so like the enemy. This is, um, he wants our attention. He wants our worship. He wants our allegiance. And when he sees that we don't give it to him, he targets us. And he targets us anyway to have our worship and our allegiance. And there are so many instances, I believe that the gallows is, I believe it's a broad idea, and I also believe that there's a narrow aspect to it as well. I've, there's so many different gallows in our world. Think of the way women are treated. Think of the way the poor and the vulnerable are treated. There are gallows for these even sections of humanity, sections of the population, where there are certain restrictions certain um, attitudes toward them, certain barriers for them that are not for other people. Think of those with suffering and diseases. Suffering loss 
of people in their lives, suffering anything, just the many things that we suffer, even mental torment and mental issues. And we have so many places on this earth where there is even ethnic cleansing happening. Even if it's not outright murder, there are things being deprived of ethnic parts, like certain parts of populations that is effectively eradicating them. And so we think of all these different places in our cultures and all these different places in civilization and in the earth where certain people or certain types of people are being targeted. And those are kind of like modern day gallows where the enemy has said, I have a plot against you and I have a plot against you and I have a plot against you. One area for, for me where I feel like there is a gallows, where there is a threat and a plot against me, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this, and I know a lot of people struggle with this, is this part of my walk with the Lord and part of our walk with the Lord where the Bible sometimes seems so dry, <laughs> where it seems so hard to understand, where it seems so impossible to apply, so impossible to incorporate into my life in any way. And I think that is a plot from the enemy. I think that is a gallows. I think that that is a place where he has targeted us. And this, the word is inspired by God. The word is anointed by the Holy Spirit. The word is meant to seep into our beings. It's meant to be something that we literally chew on and absorb and we take it into us like food. And sometimes it's like pulling my hair out to even crack it open. And I think that that is part of this dullness that comes over us where it's hard to understand and it's hard to incorporate. It's hard to apply. It's hard to see the life and the joy in it. But lately I have felt the Lord drawing me and I have felt this. I had to ask for it, to be honest. I had to ask the Lord and I still do to help the world be this exciting, life-giving thing. But that is a place where the enemy has conspired against me, and I know he's conspiring against a lot of people, that we wouldn't have the joy of the word, that we wouldn't have the life from the word, that we wouldn't have this connection to the Lord, that we wouldn't have the truth and the fullness that comes from it. And this, this is a gallows, and he's hanging on them. Every time... We open the word every time we ask the Lord, can I have something in this today from you? He's hanging. And that's just one example of a gallows, of a plot that he devised for us. He thought he devised for us that's turned around on him and he's on the gallows, not us. I felt like part of what the Lord has for us is in uh, Psalm 23 verse 5. Again, in the English Standard Version, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I can't help but smile. When you think about the gallows, when you think about the plot of the enemy against us, when you think about all the things that you face that are meant to take you down, and the promise of the Lord is you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I, um, I like to read some things in the message just to kind of get a different feel of the verse and maybe try to get a little better understanding. 
And so Psalm 23 verse 5 in the message states it like this. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. So this isn't a meal. This isn't a snack. This isn't lunch. This is a six-course meal. You're not getting up anytime soon. You're meant to be full. You're meant to be satisfied. You're meant to sit in peace and enjoyment and communion and fellowship right in front of your enemies. They have to look at it. The enemy has to look at it. The enemy has to watch you get satisfied right in his midst. And I believe that's what the Lord wants for us. I believe that's his promise. I believe that's his his way. You know, the Bible talks about the way of the Lord, the way of Jesus. Teach me your ways. I think this is one of his ways. That in the midst of our enemies, right in their presence, right in front of their face, we're getting full with everything that the Lord has for us. And he makes it for us. He serves it for us. He puts it down in front of us. And we just enjoy and are satisfied. We just let him do it. And we eat all the courses in the meal. Right in front of the enemy. And it sounds so counterintuitive. It sounds so wrong. It sounds so weird. Let's be real. Let's be real. It sounds weird that I'm going to enjoy a six-course meal. I always picture that scene in The Princess Bride, and I know it's going to sound weird, but where, um, you know, I can't remember his name, the little short dude who's always saying inconceivable, is holding Buttercup, and she's blindfolded, and Wesley sits down. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, that's actually a spoiler, but Wesley sits down, and they're, they're drinking wine. They're not eating a meal, but I always think of it that way. Like, Wesley's just enjoying himself right in front of this fool who thinks he's beat him. So that's kind of the picture that I always get when when I read this verse, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, or you serve me a six-course meal right in front of my enemies. It's uh, the promise, and not that I've mastered this, not that I do this well, not that I've succeeded in any way, but the thing that I'm trying to remember and trying to realize in the midst of onslaught from the enemy in the midst of, you know, when your mind starts racing and your heart starts pumping, your blood starts boiling and you start sweating because you feel, whatever the situation is, that you are under attack, even if it's an unseen force attacking you, that I try to remember, instead of entering that attack and becoming a weapon instead of a child, I try to remember, no, okay, I know... I know the Lord has something for me in this. I know the Lord has something for me to become full and fattened in this. And if we do a study of the word enemies, this is, this is really intriguing to me. If we do a study of the word enemies in that verse, in Psalm 23, verse 5, the Hebrew means to bind, tie up, be restricted, narrow, scant, or cramped. So it's it's all these words to like hold you back, to hem you in, to tie you up, to bind you, to restrict you. <clears throat> so we sit in front of these forces. We're in the midst of these attacks and our enemy who just who ties our hands behind our back, makes us feel restricted like, restricted like we're in a narrow or scant or cramped place. 
But the promise of the Lord in that place is that he will anoint our head with oil, that our cup will brim over with blessing and with abundance. And that word for anoint actually means to be fattened, to fatten, to anoint, to satisfy, or to remove. I think it is referring to remove the enemy. So in the midst of this being uh, restricted and tied tied up and hemmed in, He comes to anoint us, and that actually means to fatten us, to satisfy us. So when something's restricted and it starts expanding, it breaks the bonds, it breaks the restrictions. So this verse is saying first, you know, that we'll be satisfied in the presence of our enemy, and then he'll anoint us with oil and our cup will overflow. So we'll be satisfied and be fattened to the point where the enemy is literally broken broken off of us. And there's so many instances in the Gospels. I've recently read the book of Luke, so all my examples are going to come from the book of Luke, but there's so many instances in the Bible where Jesus takes up an invitation to share a meal with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were always listening very carefully, trying to trap Jesus in something, trying to have an excuse for their plot against him, just like Haman's plot against Mordecai and the Jews. Over and over again, he he is aware of their plot. He's aware of their of their scheme, and he still shares a meal with them. He still is satisfied in their presence. He still participates in the conversation, and every time he twists it around, and they're left with nothing to use against him. Uh, my favorite example of this is Luke thirty six through thirty nine. Now. This particular story is huge for a number of reasons, and I think I could probably spend my entire life studying the woman who anointed Jesus and never get all of it out of it. I just I just want to be her. But the part of the story I want to focus on today is um, Luke 7, verse 36 through 39, again in the English Standard Version. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. He reclined at a table. <laughs> and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Who of us isn't a sinner, for one thing? For another thing, the Pharisees are probably like, Hey, look, we've got him, we've got him. He's letting a woman touch him. He's letting a sinning woman touch him. And a notorious sinner. Everyone knew who she was. And then he ends up turning it around. If you guys don't know the story, go ahead and find it and read it. Um, it's Luke seven thirty six through the end of the chapter, verse 49. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus defends her. He turns it around and he talks about how she's for, she's been forgiven much, so she loves much. Instead of them winning this plot, to expose Jesus for being touched by a sinning woman, a notoriously sinning woman. He makes an example of her, of her great love. Because she's been forgiven much, she she loves much. They were trying to create a gallows. 
The enemy was always trying to create a gallows against Jesus that he would hang on. And every time the enemy is stuck up on those gallows, every time it's turned around because the gallows weren't made for us and they weren't made for Jesus. That's the great lie of the enemy. That's one of the great lies of the enemy that he built a gallows for us. Right away in Esther 5, those gallows were never meant for Mordecai. Haman thinks that they are, but they were never meant for Mordecai. And that's the truth. That's, that's the reality of things. That's the, heart, that's the heart of the Lord for us. The gallows we face, the gallows we think that we are facing, are not ours. They are the enemies. After the plot was discovered that Haman built the gallows, Mordecai and Esther began to intercede and go through processes of intercession and and actively trying to work against this plot and asking the Lord to intervene. And that's the same for us. When we're in the presence of our enemies, when we discover a plot against us, when we know that there's a gallows made that's intended for us, like there's a part of this song, Gallows, that says, find every window and every door and throw them open. And I believe that's another picture of this process that they went through of intercession and what we need to do. We don't just sit in the dark. We don't just sit in the despair of a plot against us. We don't just sit in this idea that there's a gallows made for us and resign ourselves to that fate. We find every window and every door and we throw them open. We pray. We do acts of intercession. We find the Lord. We seek the Lord. We enjoy that meal. There is action required. There's action necessary. There is still a process of fasting and praying and going through that entire process. And other disciplines are involved as well, I'm sure. When I feel a plot or an attack against me, when I feel that the enemy would really like to take me down in a certain area, uh, a couple months ago I was having a lot of personal conflicts and I could feel I mean, I, I've made a lot of errors and I could feel the enemy threatening destroyed relationships. I could feel the enemy threatening to destroy me with the guilt and shame of how I behaved. But there's a process, right? And I'm not perfect at it. I don't know the whole process. I don't do it perfectly well yet. But in this particular example, part of the process is repentance. Part of the process is apology. Part of the process is is discussion and love and acceptance and prayer. You find every window, you find every door, and you throw them open. You let the air in, you let the light in. And I believe that's what Mordecai and Esther were doing. That's part of part of the motivation behind the fasting and the prayer and the purification processes that they went through. Again, Esther's a really short book. Go ahead and read it. There's a lot in it. And the result of this... The end of this process was the Lord did turn it all around and the gallows that Haman built for Mordecai were the gallows that Haman built for himself. So let's read Esther 7, verse 7 through 10. And the king rose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, 
one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king said moreover the gallons that the gallows that haman has prepared for mordecai whose word saved the king is standing at haman's house fifty cubits high and the king said hang him on that so they hanged haman on the gallows that he had prepared for mordecai then the wrath of the king abated then they hanged haman on the gallows that he had prepared for mordecai again for me in my life i was not supposed to be here <laughs> the enemy had a gallows ready for me the enemy has a, had a gallows ready for a lot of us i'm not supposed to be here i was born with a really bad heart condition i wasn't supposed to survive birth i wasn't supposed to survive to two past two years old i am now 35 there's been a lot of gallows. Those are just the early ones. Those are just the, those are the, the actual, like, my life. Not just a relationship, not just a situation. My actual life was meant for a gallows. And the Lord turned it around and I'm still here. Just like Mordecai. And I believe the Lord wants us to get a hold of this. That the plots and the intentions against you are not meant to take you down. The plot will be turned back on on the enemy. The plot will be turned back on Satan. He will hang. He has hung. One of the big gallows I believe that we face in our current time, in our culture, in the church, this day and age, 2020, we're now in 2020, is relational strife. And the, the constant threat, the constant... Um, events of relationships being broken or agreements being broken off covenants being broken i believe that's something that the enemy is uh hell-bent on us experiencing day in and day out he wants uh to continue what started in the garden that the relate that the relationship with adam of adam and eve would be broken that the relationship of us with the Lord would be broken. But that is a gallows that he will hang on. In many, many instances in my life, in many instances in many people's lives, the enemy hangs from the gallows of relational strife, of broken relationship. The enemy will hang from the gallows of abortion. The enemy will hang from the gallows of women being oppressed. The enemy will hang from the gallows of countless foster children without families. The enemy will hang from these gallows. And the way we make it there, one of the ways we make it there, one of the ways that the Lord has given us to make it there, to see that happen, and to not get up on them first, is to enjoy a six-course meal, is to be satisfied with the Lord, is to turn to him, is to watch him and join him in a meal, in the presence of the Pharisees, in the presence of our enemies, to remember and to recount his faithfulness, his goodness, and to be satisfied, to allow hope, to allow every window and every door to be open, and to allow hope to fill our vision, not the gallows. We will not help the enemy get us on the gallows and end relationships and not fight back against abortion and oppress women and continue to view them as less than or to oppress other nationalities and other religions and view them as less than because they're not white, 
because they're not Christian, or whatever the reasons might be. We will not help him let countless orphans waste away. We will pray, we will intercede, we will make needs, we will join in. And the devil will hang from his gallows. He will never stop hanging from his gallows. Because Jesus went to the cross, he made a way, and he said he wants us to have a six-course meal in front of the enemy. In front of the threat of those gallows, and he will hang. Thank you for joining us. If you're